Welcome to the Sports Leadership Podcast, where leaders in sport get practical, relevant insight to help them take their leadership to the next level and become leaders worth following. Now for your hosts, Kevin DeShazo and Mark Hodgkin. friends welcome back episode 42 of the sports leadership podcast i am kevin DeShazo along with mark hodgkin and we are back uh episode two of the last dance i know it's episode 42 don't be confused um our second episode around the last dance uh honestly we just talked a lot and we realized just how long this episode was so we broke it up into two episodes um and so this one we break down a few different things uh about jordan about the bulls from that era um, and kind of dig into a little more of the last dance. Yeah, we probably could have done a 10 part, uh, like the documentary on this, you know, we just couldn't, couldn't quite stop. We turned off the microphones last time and talked another probably 20 minutes about it. It's just right in the wheelhouse and hit so many things. There's a nostalgia element, uh, for, for guys our age. And there's, uh, you know, just unbelievable, unbelievable amount of interesting points to this to this show um you know i think we talked a little bit last time about you know how was how was jordan as far as bringing people up to his level we talked about phil jackson um you know who was i think kind of almost the un under heralded uh star of this whole thing and and how he was able to keep this together and today we're going to dive in a little bit more to the the difference between those bulls teams and maybe what we're seeing by the successful nba teams you know some of the teams that have really had uh success since the bulls you know like the the spurs and the warriors had very different kind of um very different kind of atmospheres and very different kind of dynamics uh, around them so we'll get into that and then we'll talk a little bit about the uh you know his time playing minor league baseball and i think most interesting uh we'll kind of get into what we think the biggest key is to uh to jordan's success and it might be a little bit different than some people think but i think it's going to be a, a great conversation Um, another thing I came back to on this was how different it felt than the modern NBA. And there's obviously diehards and I love the nineties NBA, right? Like you and me are from that era. Loved it. I loved, uh, half those teams were just ones I love to watch, love to watch the Pacers. I love the Knicks, love to watch the jazz. I love to watch the Rockets. Yeah, these were teams that they were tough and physical and, and had great stars and had players who were kind of like on their team for the long haul. Now you see teams, players join together and super teams and stuff. And that never really happened where Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone and Michael Jordan got on a team together or something. But right now it doesn't, you know, you don't see as many of those players who are, and some people say this is bad, but I'm not sure it is that are just absolute killers from a competitive standpoint like that in the same way that you're either on my side or not. These guys are dapping and, and, and giving fives and trading jerseys after games. And it seems like the modern kind of leadership of a guy like LeBron James or Steph Curry is kinder and gentler maybe than, than Jordan. It's probably, it's much more nuanced than that, I know. But, you know, it definitely seems like a big difference from how the best at the NBA now, uh, you know, carry themselves and manage their teammates. And, you know, obviously there's still high standards and there's still high performance, but it feels a lot different. Well, and, and that's the key is, again, going back, there's still high standards. And, and I don't know, this is purely speculation. I don't, I don't know that a lot of players back then wanted to play with Jordan, right? Some of that was just because 
he was a jerk. Some of that was because of the circus that surrounded him, right? Because he was this global icon. People were like, I don't want to deal with that. Some of that is people just didn't move around as much, right? Like you said, Stockton Malone were on the jazz forever until like the very last, like what year, maybe two years when it was like Malone and Gary Payton. Yeah, one year guys in life went to the Lakers. Long, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, but in general, it's like these guys were with a, you know, Ewing with the Knicks forever, Reggie Miller with the Pacers. Um, and, and so it's, it, it was a different area, era, good, bad, and different. It was just, it was just different. Um, but people want to play with Steph. People want to play with LeBron. And this isn't to say LeBron or some are better or quote unquote better leaders. They're, they're different. And it's just a different way of looking at it. Um, they hold people to high, really high standards, right? If you're going to be on the warriors, you're going to operate at a very high standard. Like they have a standard of excellence how we get there is going to look different. If you're going to be around LeBron, there's a standard of excellence. How we're going to get there is going to be different. Uh, and and I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter as we're sitting here. Um, I was just looking for Michael Jordan's leadership, seeing what people have, have said about it. And I love this quote actually from, from Pablo Torre, um, who I think is still with ESPN. If he's not, apologies. Um, yeah, still on ESPN. He said, legendary leaders don't have to be legendary jerks. I thought that was a really, just a really interesting quote. And he's, he's talking about kind of the Jordan thing of most people who will say that Jordan was an, was an incredible leader have probably never led people, <laughs> right? Cause you go try that style and it's probably, especially outside of sport, it's not going to work out very well. Um, but it was a different time. Uh, it's not to excuse anything. It was, it was a different time. It was a different era. Um, and, and, you know, we, we talk about, one of the things I think Jordan did really well though, is there was a, like, he wasn't going to let people settle, right? It's like, if we're going to, if you're going to play on my team, there is a standard you're going to live up to. And, and you, and part of it is like, these guys may not have even saw that they in, in themselves, that they were capable of that standard, right? It's like, so he got people to operate at a level that maybe they didn't think they were capable of operating. And did he get them there the best possible way? Maybe not. Um, but, but Steve Kerr hitting that Steve Kerr, probably like who knows what level of competence he had, but when you have the greatest player in the world saying, Hey, you're going to be open. I'm going to pass it to you. There's confidence that comes with that. Right. And, and it's interesting because LeBron gets, gets taken to the shed all the time for passing right in a key moment. Like, no, he should take the shot. I mean, how many times did Jordan make, make the pass? Um, and so there, there was a level of trust in performance um, and where he didn't always have to be the guy. Um, and so I, and some of that just came as he got older, um, he, he just, just physically, right. He just couldn't, couldn't carry, carry that burden and realize like, it actually gets a lot easier for me if I can pass to Steve and trust that he's going to make it. If I can let Scotty do his thing, if I can let Horace do his thing. Um, but it, but it, it was, it was a different era. And, um, so it, it's interesting to think about, you know, again, we can compare Steph and LeBron and, and Jordan as players, but as, as leaders. And there is that, you know, I don't know that anybody would say that Steph doesn't have a killer instinct, right? Like he is a, an elite, not just player, but an elite competitor, but you watch how he operates and it's just very different. Does he hold people accountable? Absolutely. So we, you know, we talk a lot about this idea of support and challenge. Does Steph bring challenge to people? A thousand percent. There's also a lot of support. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of relationship. There's a lot of connection, which allows him to bring even more challenge to where it doesn't feel like he's being a jerk. And that's another part of the thing with Jordan is like, there's a balance there because sometimes people, and he, he, I don't remember the exact quote, but he's like, sometimes I challenge people and they didn't want to be challenged. Well, that is part of leadership, right? There are times people don't want it, but they actually need it. And so part of it is knowing what people need versus what they want. 
Uh, and so there were times that he needed to bring that challenge. Sometimes maybe he brought it, took it too far or whatever it may be. But, but part of leadership is learning to bring that challenge, but it's also finding that balance of, of support as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, again, I don't, I don't mean to sound like we're piling on Jordan as a leader either. Um, you know, these are just some of the things that have come to us and, and I admire a lot about him. He does, does strike me as somebody who's fairly lonely and, and unhappy in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he's confident in, in what he did, but you know, again, did he do it the right way? And, and, and the thing I will say that's, that's been, that I liked a lot about it. And I, I think you have to give him credit for is he wasn't asking his teammates to do things that he wouldn't do. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't sitting back and then saying, Oh, you guys got to spend time in the gym. He was first one in first one out. And I think that's, that's, if there's anything, there's a prerequisite of that for leadership. And, you know, if you're going to be getting people to buy in, especially if you're going to ride them hard and you're going to, you're going to have a high standard, you can't compromise on holding yourself to that standard. People see right through that. That doesn't last um, at all. But, you know, I do think um, one of the other quotes, it wasn't in this movie, but um, it was uh, from Tex Winter, who was Phil Jackson's deputy head coach, the, the architect, the triangle and coached in Chicago, then also coached in uh, Los Angeles with, with Phil Jackson. And he said, um, you know, he didn't think the, the humiliation of his teammates were good for morale. And he thought it actually led to kind of a generation of players that, you know, kind of picked on and, and, and were too critical and, and too rough on less talented players and, and lesser teammates. Um, and he said, you know, he didn't think that was necessarily a good thing, but he mentioned even somebody like Kobe Bryant, you know, that, that was, you know, kind of a, the, the mindset and, you know, wasn't necessarily a positive one. So, you know, again, I think one thing that also stands out to me is that you have to do it your way too. I mean, I, I wonder if, I wonder how Jordan, he was being true to who he was, whether, you know, you kind of like it or not. And I think, you know, that's, that's also, you know, he might not have been as effective if he had tried to do it the way, you know, Tim Duncan did, you know, Tim Duncan's a pretty good, uh, kind of contrast because Steve Kerr talked a lot about it. Kerr obviously played with Jordan, Kerr, played with Duncan, coach Duncan as an assistant. And, and so they were just, he put them on very similar levels, but just very different. You know, he said that Tim Duncan you felt like you were playing with him. And sometimes you felt you were playing for uh, Jordan, um, which is, you know, obviously I think most people have, have a, most people would decide they'd rather play with somebody on their team than, than for them. But, you know, I, I do think it's a, it's kind of an interesting dynamic of maybe, he was a product of, uh, you know, how he came up in the the late eighties. You know, that was, that was tough space as well. I mean, you think basketball is tough in the nineties. It was probably even tougher in the eighties. He had to go through a wall of the Celtics teams and the, the Pistons teams and to some extent, the Lakers as well. Um, so, you know, he, he was true to who he, he was, I think. And, you know, if you could say one thing about the leadership, you have to, you have to be, you know, what's natural and authentic for yourself. And, and you know, like I said, there are, there are a number of paths to greatness and to winning. That was the Jordan way. Um, that doesn't mean it's the best way. It doesn't mean it's the only way. Um, that was the path that, that he took. And, and you're also spot on in that, and he mentioned this in, in, the, in the show, like he went first, right? Like he was in the gym. He held himself to an extremely high standard. Um, that gave him the credibility to hold others to a high standard. You can't, like I said, you can't, you can't hold others to a standard you're not willing to live. Um, and he lived it. 
Like he was in the gym. He was, he was the one who started like doing the weight training. I got to get stronger. Okay. That's the tone for everyone else. Like now we got to get stronger as well. Um, and so there's a, which, which is a, you know, we, I think we've talked about this on, on the podcast before, but, um, around Saban and Belichick and Jordan as well. Most people wouldn't call them humble leaders. Like those aren't the first word that come to mind with those guys, but they're always adjusting and always adapting. Well, that only comes with humility to say, is there, can I, how can I get better? There's a humility that comes with, with asking that question that it's, it's acknowledging, like, I'm not my best. What do I need to do or change or how can I grow? And then to do the work that, that only comes from a, there's a place of humility. Now that, that may not come out in every other area of their leadership, but, but growth only comes from humility. And Jordan was that way. And that he was always looking, he was always willing to examine himself as a player, say, where are my weaknesses? Okay. The Pistons are literally beating me up. <laughs> they are assaulting me. Uh, and again, the game was just, was just very different. It was, it was a blast to watch, but it was, I mean, it was, it was rough. So, okay, well, I'm more talented, but I'm not strong enough. We are more talented probably, but we're not strong enough. So what do you, he, you can't just demand that your team get stronger. You go to the gym and you get stronger and say, guys, we have to get stronger. And he, he led that. He went first. And so I think, and, and that's why leadership, like there's, there's just context to everything. And it's not, this is, it's all good or all bad. It's like some of this is really good. Some of this is really bad. Um, and you've got to learn from all of it. And so that's the thing for, for us as leaders, like, which part of Jordan's leadership style and mindset are healthy that we could, that we could emulate, that we could learn from, that we could adapt to our own style. What are things like, no, I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to be known for that. Cause that's the question. Again, we, we always go back to is what's it like to be on the other side of your leadership? Um, is it fearful? Is it, is it abusive? Um, is it empowering? Is it like encouraging? You know, what, what's it like to be on the other side of you? And are you creating an environment where people not just can be their best, but actually want to be their best and believe they can be their best. Um, another thing, and this is going to be a long episode, apparently, guys. So I'm not going to apologize because it was a, it was a nine episode show. So um, one thing I thought was really interesting from the show, especially for today's culture, like Scottie Pippen was an elite talent, right? Like he is so underrated. And even Jordan said, like in one of the first couple episodes, like there would be no MJ without Scottie. He was like that that it does not happen without Scottie Pippen right there. Um, everyone wants to be the star. Right? Everyone wants to be the guy. Are you willing to be the best number two you can possibly be? Pippen was okay with that. He played that role, played it to perfection. Like he was, he was unbelievable in that role. And, and that doesn't mean he didn't have moments where he wanted to be the guy, right? We are, we're all humans. We all have moments, but like he embracing, I don't have to sit here over here and whine and complain about being the number two. I'm going to be the best number two I can possibly be. And Steve Kerr, he was, he, he chose to be the best at his role and, and Horace Grant, like all these guys, were just fine being great role players. And that doesn't mean they weren't talented basketball. They, they were good players. They were in the NBA. Like they're, you don't make it to that level if you're not, if you're not elite at, at your sport. Um, but these guys, at, at some point in their lives, were the star, right? If you're in the NBA, you were a star at some point, right? Maybe it was high school, maybe it was college. Like you were the, you were the guy at some point. All these guys are okay not being the guy. Now, yes, it's easy to say, well, we have Michael Jordan on our team. I'm never going to be the guy. But you're also talking about ex- extreme competitors who are willing to say, no, this is my role. I don't, I, I want to be a winner, right? I can go be the guy on a losing team and be a loser, or I can be a great role player on a winning team and be a winner. And it's like, that's a, that's a mindset. Like all of us have to figure out what is your role? Are you willing to be great at your role? Like if you're, if you're an assistant coach, instead of worrying so much about being a head coach, what if you decide I, I'm going to be the best assistant coach the world has ever seen. And maybe that's, maybe you're only an assistant coach forever. Great. 
But if you become an unbelievable, um, invaluable assistant coach, you're going to be, you're going to win everywhere you go. Right. Um, I also think back to like our current age, he's retired now, but Nick Collison, I mean, he was unbelievably talented high school, maybe national college player of the year or national high school player of the year. That may not be true, but like elite high school player went to Kansas, like elite player in, in college and was a role player for the thunder. And he would come in and get rebounds and set picks. So it's like part of the greatness of those Bulls teams is people were willing to be great at being role players. Yeah, that's, that definitely shows through. And that's, you know, again, it's funny. We haven't really talked about him as the, the whole show was in a lot of ways, just kind of middle finger to Jerry Krause. And again, not, not to put judgment one way or the other, but there was a lot of, you know, he was blamed for everything on the show. It was, there's no doubt about it. Right. He was the villain. He was, um, I, I, I heard maybe one positive thing where maybe it was Jerry Reinsdorf said, well, you know, he was actually a pretty good guy, but the rest of it's kind of buried um, under all this. And, uh, you know, he did put that team together in, in a way that one could coexist, but two people knew their role. Rodman was, was amazing to watch because he almost never shot the ball. Like, you, you remember this. He never, mm-hmm. never shot the ball. Like it was weird. He looked strange shooting. Like he never, never saw it. Like he'd tap in rebounds, but you know, he wasn't posting up. He was a terrible free throw shooter. Um, he was not a part of the offense. There's a there were four man offense um, when he was on the court, best rebounder of all time though. And, and unbelievable defender. Um, he had to lock down guys, you know, in that era, like Ewing and like uh, Malone and, and Elijah Wan and some of the big guys that he could just muscle up with. But you know, he was a role player and I come back. I'd really like to see, you mentioned it's a 10 episode thing, but I would, I would have loved to see an, an episode about the years with the wizards, right? Mm-hmm. The, Jordan, this wasn't his last dance. He came back as a player and played, I think two years, maybe three with the Washington wizards in the early two thousands. Um, and I don't remember Kevin, did he make the playoffs as a, as a, maybe one year they made the play. I'm not even sure they did. Um, I, I don't think so, but I don't, I don't remember for sure. Yeah. We have to look that up, but I, I don't, I don't think they did either. And, you know, it wasn't that Jordan's skills were completely eroded, um, but he didn't have a Pippen. Um, he had, uh, you know, a group of players. He was, had a hand in putting together as an executive um, of the team. So he was picking those players. He was on a team. Uh, the coach was Doug Collins, who was his original, one of his early coaches in Chicago um, that he had a great relationship with. And that's another part of what was so impressive about Phil Jackson, that he could kind of come out of the shadow of a guy that Jordan had a lot of fun playing for, a lot of respect for, was a very good coach. Um, and, you know, say to take the next step, you need, you know, what Phil Jackson can provide. But I would have loved to seen kind of this look into those years with Washington um, that nobody remembers. Uh, they just basically, you know, people don't even remember them. And I think that would have been a, an interesting thing to see another side of, of this leadership. Um, you know, when maybe there wasn't as much of a supporting cast, the biggest difference probably, and again, I don't have the roster in front of me. I, I remember it basically, but you know, there was definitely no Scotty Pippen um, on those teams. Um, nobody was a, a top 15 type player in their own right as their number two. Um, but I, I think it would have been interesting to kind of see a peek behind the curtain of that team that if he was trying some of these same things with young guys like Kwame Brown and, and has who are just kind of, you know, on his team, uh, would have loved to see how that went, you know, with the same kind of level of access that we had in this, uh, in the last dance. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that would have been fascinating to see what, how his mindset changed. 
um, how his approach would have changed a just with age and wisdom um, and and seeing what that would what how he would have approached how he did approach you know those those seasons um, one thing I thought was really interesting with Jordan another good thing because uh, it, it reminded me of talking about Rodman right who is this elite defender Jordan elite defender right it's like and and that's one thing like as a leader he was willing to do the dirty work right it wasn't just like hey I'm going to go score you guys cover me on the back end. Like, no, he was a lockdown elite defender. And that's like, he, he took pride in every part of his game. Um, and, and, you know, as, as, as we, whatever your, our position is like we, too often we want to push the dirty work onto somebody else, right? We want to do the, we want to do the sexy stuff where we're going to get acknowledged, but it's like, in that respect, he was a team player. He didn't, he, he, part of the reason he wouldn't allow any weakness from any of, the, any of his teammates is because like he refused to allow any weakness from himself. Right. And so he yeah. was, he, he did not want to have a weakness in his game. He wanted to make sure like he was living that standard uh, and was willing to do the dirty work, which, which I think was, was again, set a standard for that others were willing to follow in, in that respect. Um, and I also love the, the Birmingham years, right. When he went to baseball, it was a, I remember when he retired, right. Like I wept that day, right. As, as a kid, like I, I didn't think it was true. And, and, but then he goes to Birmingham and it felt like we saw a different Jordan with those guys. And it was really fascinating because like he couldn't treat those guys like he did the Bulls players. Number one, he was, he wasn't that elite talent, although was underrated, right? Like, you know, talk about what, 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 what Terry Francona said, like, it's easy to laugh at his stats. Like, no, no, no. This guy went from not having touched a bat in years to going against professional players and pretty darn well. Terry Francona, I think he said like, give him another 50 at bats and he would have been in the majors. Like yeah. that's just a level of, of athlete and commitment, right? Like it wasn't a show. He's like, no, I'm going to go give, I'm, I'm not here to like have fun. I'm, I'm here to, I want to win. I want to, I want to be a baseball player, but he, but he also is like, I'm going to ride on the bus and I'm going to sleep in the hotel. Like there was a connection and relationship with those guys that was very different than his time with the bulls. And I wonder if that was just due to his level of, um, ability or competency in, the, in, in that sport. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think you're, I think you're right that it was, he wasn't, wasn't far and away the best player on the team. Obviously he was at, at best, probably a middle level talent. And I couldn't agree with you more. People make fun of his baseball, but try going playing double A baseball after never playing professional baseball, having played competitively in 15 years or 10 years or whatever it was. Um, that's just preposterously good. And it's, it's a, it's a credit to his work ethic, but um, you know, I, I think you're right as far as um, he had to kind of go back to basics. And, and again, we didn't see too much of it in the show, but he almost seemed more comfortable and like more fun. Like he, he's in the locker room and obviously these guys are probably a little bit starstruck around him, but you know, he could kind of relax. And again, it's a circus for double a baseball when he comes into town, but that's the other flip side of this whole thing. I think, you know, again, I don't want to come across like too hard on the guy at the guy's leadership, because when you're, when you're somebody like Michael Jordan too, the expectations and the pressures are different than, than other guys, right? Like everybody is watching your move. He took an enormous amount of heat early in his career. People forget all about this, but he had the same kind of thing that, that LeBron had up until, you know, he won his championship with the heat that, Oh yeah. Stats are great, but guy can't win. You know, he's playing on teams that are 41 and 41 and going out in the second round of the playoffs. And, you know, th there's a, there's a pressure on you to, to do, to do the things that you need to do to, to get better. And, and again, he adapted and he, he learned, but you know, I think there's also a little bit of, you have to, 
I don't want to say give him a pass, but you have to look at the way he decided to lead through who he was expected to be, which was, you know, he's on every commercial, every human being could pick him out of a lineup on the planet, possibly. I mean, he was that big. So, you know, again, he couldn't probably lead the same way that other people can lead just because of what, what is expected on him? What are the pressures on him? What's the, you know, if you don't win for a couple of years, what's wrong with you? And you, you kind of see that too, with a lot of these guys in the nineties. And again, as a, as a lover of the basketball in the nineties, you know, I've always felt bad is maybe the wrong word, but I, I I've always thought about all these tremendous players that never got the ring and they kind of live with it. And one of my favorite moments from the show being a, a, a jazz fan was when, Malone went onto the bus after the game six, which was absolutely gut wrenching. People people remember the shot, but they forget that Malone had the ball stripped from him on, in the post, and and he was so close. And his game had had evolved to such a high level by '98, and he probably knew this was maybe the last tr- chance for him to win that that elusive ring. But all these guys like Barkley and Ewing and Miller and Stockton and Malone and Peyton and you know all of these guys in the '90s who never got never got the hard work because Jordan was winning it all. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think of them necessarily as lesser, uh, competitors or lesser leaders for sure. But, you know, he just had a different, uh, a different standard that was one self-imposed, but also, you know, the world expected different things from, from Jordan that they couldn't have expected from anybody else. Absolutely. And these were all time greats, right? Like these guys are so underrated because they've had to play, play against Jordan. Um, and, and not just Jordan to go to Carl Malone. You know, I loved his quote. It's like, man, we weren't just playing against Jordan. We were playing the Chicago Bulls. Um, but I mean, they ended careers and stopped championship possibilities for so many. I mean, Malone and Stockton were so, so good. Like those jazz teams were so fundamentally sound. Rest in peace, Jerry Sloan, who just passed away, their coach. Um, mm-hmm. They were so fun to watch. The Pacers, I, it's funny, like I was a Bulls fan. I, I, you know, I grew up in Missouri for a long time and, and then Oklahoma. So I'd never really had sports teams to cheer for, like in, in my state, um, so especially NBA. So I love the Bulls, but I, there was no real loyalty. Like, I love the Pacers. I hate, I didn't like the Knicks. Um, respect them. So, I, you know, Ewing and Stark, they were, they were fun to watch. Um, loved Clyde Drexler uh, with the Trailblazers and then, then with Houston. Loved Akeem Olajuwon. Um, I mean, all these guys, like these were all time great players that, that Jordan and the bulls just, just shut down. Um, and I think my favorite, my takeaway, my biggest takeaway from, from Jordan, uh, of, of what I would want to emulate from him. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to quote this. Uh, this is, I'm going to probably butcher his name. Mark Vansel, who, who wrote, um, rare air said, Michael Jordan is a mystic. He was never anywhere else. His gift was not that he could jump high, run fast, shoot a basketball. His gift was that he was completely present. And that was the separator. It's like, that's the thing I think that I, and I didn't get at the time, right? I was 15 years, I don't know if I was 15 years old, but however old I, I was, uh, I guess, yeah, 97, 98 would have been 15, 16 years old. Um, obviously didn't get it when I'm, when I'm that age, like it, it, you hit on it. Jordan had all, I mean, he was, he was in commercials. He was a global icon. He had all this stuff going on. He, he lost his father and, and but even for, even before all that, like he just had all this stuff going on and yet he could be, he was at every moment he was fully present, right? It's like in the game, he's like, I'm nowhere else, but here. And I, I, I'm going to butcher this quote that he said in the show. It's like, look, if people have set aside three and a half hours of their time to, to watch me, they deserve my best. Yes. Like 
I, I love that perspective. And that meant he could block out. As soon as he got on the court, I'm on the court with my people. Let's, let's go. Um, I've been listening to the Calm app, and there's a, there's a mental toughness portion of it, series of it, I don't know what you call it, and it's actually led by LeBron. And he's talking about the shot that he hit, and I'm, I don't know when it was. It was in the playoffs, I think actually against Chicago. Um, and he said there's 1.8 seconds left or something like that. And he gets open, he catches the ball, and he's like, can I elevate to shoot? He goes, in that moment, he's like, let's pause right there. He goes, I'm in the air. There are 20,000 people who want me to miss that shot. He's like, the Chicago fans are rough. Like they're just waiting to pounce. He said, there are TV announcers sitting 15 feet away, ready to make their call, right? Unbelievable. Or he missed it. You know, because you've got 10,000 sports writers around the country waiting to write a headline. Everyone that I care about is in that room, in that building with me. My teammates are watching me hoping and expecting me to make it. My coaches are expecting me to make it. Millions are watching on TV. None of that matters. I'm in that moment to make this shot. It was like, you don't think like, is, I, I was actually like had a mental picture of, of him like midair. And for those where you can't see on video, I'm actually doing the movement. But like <laughs> he's, he, he's midair and like you pause, right? Like, and you just see a whole arena. Like I would love to have a picture of LeBron elevated like mid, mid shot. And just hit pause and you see a whole arena silent watching. Is he going to make it? And like the ability to be present in that moment, because presence is like, it's a superpower. And like, it's so, so difficult. And Jordan was, if not the best, one of the best at this is my job right now. And it requires all of my energy, all of my focus. Yeah. And, and he couldn't go anywhere else with, and have that kind of peace. Right. I mean, I, I always think of Tiger Woods is very much the similarity that, you know, this guy, every hotel he's in, you can't go down and get a, a snack from the front desk without a million people kind of milling around and noticing you and pointing and getting out phones and same with Jordan back. I never, I never had the opportunity of seeing him play in person, but my dad went to see him once when he was in Boston, we were living in, in Rhode Island and said the, the thing that you just don't can't, believe when you see it is all the flash bulbs every time he takes the ball you know and that might not be as much the same now but it would be the same with everybody just putting their phone up and 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 looking and i think you hit on it that's really the the secret to his success was for all the the other stuff you could just kind of compartmentalize that and and be present and that is probably one of the if not that's that's definitely the best thing i think everybody can take from his leadership and that's more maybe almost more self-leadership than than uh than overt you know traditional style leadership but everybody can take that that's an undoubted good thing uh there's no you know there's no caveat on that that's something that we could all do and and we could all be better at and we'll all you know be well served to embrace all right so that wraps up our thoughts on Michael Jordan. We have no other thoughts on Michael Jordan or the last <laughs> dance. Um, that's not true. As Mark said, uh, we, we probably could have, and maybe should have, uh, just done a 10 part. We should have just done an episode for each episode. Um, cause we probably could have talked an hour on, on each episode, but hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Again, looking at, at how, how kind of our perspective on, on those bulls and, and this era of the NBA and how different that is different challenges, not, not better, worse, just very different. Um, and especially what we think was the key, to Jordan's success uh, and some of that I think is relevant to all of us, whatever, whatever our, our field or craft is. Yeah. That, that being present is 
the secret, or maybe it's not so much of a secret, but it's it's a superpower. It's uh, the ability to just kind of block out the noise, focus on what is right in front of you, uh, because it's really all that matters. You know, at that at the end of the day, you you worry about these things that may or may not happen, um, and especially we're living through a time right now with that. Right? I mean, there's so much going on in the world. It's unsettled. It's uncomfortable challenge for for all the leaders listening is really how can how can i be more present today how can i just be more focused on what's happening and not what possibly could happen or what could possibly go wrong so yeah really really important uh topic absolutely and again jordan is as as with any leader with any person he he's imperfect there were things he did um that showed great leadership and things he did that we certainly would not want to encourage or model for our people or in our lives. And that's the thing about leaders, right? They're not just bad leaders or good leaders. Um, each moment is a little bit different. And, and the idea is you want to be as consistent as you can in moving towards doing what, what great leaders do. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed these episodes. Um, hope you enjoyed the last dance. If you haven't, make sure you go check it out on ESPN. Uh, ESPN will look for that, that check a little bit later on. Um, but thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, from Mark Hodgkin, I am Kevin DeShazo. We will see you guys next time.